This episode of the Digital Missions Podcast is a bonus episode. It breaks from our norm of me interviewing digital missionaries out there in the world and finding out what's working so that you can reach your first million people with the gospel. And instead, the tables are turned. I am sharing with you an interview from my friend Kimon, who hosts the Monetize Your Ministry podcast. And I figured over the last couple of weeks, we have been having this ongoing conversation of what it looks like to monetize your ministry. And a while ago, he interviewed me for that show, and I got to share a bit about my strategy and a bit about my story. So I figured why not share this episode with you guys as well? If you're interested in hearing more of the conversations that Kimon offers, check him out. Monetize your ministry podcast on all the podcasting platforms. Enjoy. Uh, for me, at the beginning of my journey, and we'll, we'll probably end up talking about them, I'm going to just jump right in. There was a fork in the road for me, at least when I first started, which was either the security and comfort of a full-time job in ministry, which, you know, that's kind of tongue-in-cheek because most of us, we're barely scraping by when right, it comes right. to full-time ministry. But that was the secure side of things versus diving into what I felt that God was calling me to do, which is to go full-time on social media ministry. And the unknown of what that would look like. There weren't resources, there weren't plans, there weren't shows like this kind of interviewing people who have done it before. And so I had to figure it out piece by piece. It was a lot of trial and error. And so I'm glad that you are hosting a spot on the internet where people who feel the pull towards online ministry, who feel the idea of of wanting to be able to monetize the thing that God has called them to do. I love that this is happening. So kudos to you. Thank you, man. Thank you. Now, Justin, um, there's always asked this um, icebreaker question. But I got to say this before I ask the icebreaker question. You look very comfortable. I can see out of that window. It looks really great. Where are you right now as we're having this interview? Because someone's going to get jealous when you give it. <laughs> I, I am on the beautiful island of Oahu. Uh, my family and I in the last year, give or take a, about a year, a little bit longer than a year, we moved to Hawaii to help support a local church. And this will actually dovetail right into exactly what we're doing because I'm not getting paid by the local church. And yet I'm here serving locally and running my online ministry and monetizing it all in order to make this whole thing work. So we're, we're in beautiful Hawaii. Uh, it, it's, it's a beautiful sunny 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 day and so you know uh this is my this is my normal work uniform for whatever it's worth whether you like it or not this is yeah, what i what somebody, i wear every single day yeah, somebody just got jealous but uh that's what happens when you monetize your ministry you can <laughs> live it, anywhere in the world so justin some people may know you from um on instagram from tiktok from youtube but what's something about you that may surprise people to learn about you ah um, at one point in time, I was a nationally competitive, uh, Olympic weightlifter, Olympic weightlifter, not to say that I was in the Olympics, but the sport of Olympic weightlifting compared and contrasted to something like bodybuilding or powerlifting for those who are in the know, uh, I competed in Olympic weightlifting. I was a nationally ranked 62 kilo, uh, a weightlifter. And so that was something that for me was a very large part of my life. And then I had a child, and that's all gone by the wayside. So I'm not doing that at all anymore. Wow. I didn't do that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So ministry for you, I want you to talk to us about, like, when you first started exploring ministry, what was your first forays into, okay, I want to move out and, and do this? My beginning of my ministry, I was 17 years old, just uh, leaving my senior year of high school. And I found myself in a summer coal portering program. Some of the listeners might know what that is, but let me just bre break it down. It was a summer ministry type of opportunity where I would earn money for college. And in so doing, I would go door to door and try and sell Christian books and offer prayer and kind of do like ministry door to door. 
And so that's something that I did my first year. And that was actually uh, really actually how I came to Christ. Prior to that moment, I'll be honest, was kind of lost and wandering, not sure what I wanted to do with my life. Didn't really feel like I had a purpose. And when I found myself in the trenches of ministry, I realized, oh, there's something bigger to live for than myself. And so that was the beginning of a very long season of uh, 10 years of doing literature evangelism. I've personally knocked on over 100,000 doors. So there's a lot of rejection, a lot of trial and error, uh, a lot of having to confront imposter syndrome and not feeling motivated. And all of that seems to have served uh, very well for the type of ministry that I do now. Oh, absolutely. And I'm sure we're going to talk about the connection to that. So you were going out selling Christian literature, meeting Mm -hmm. people, um, you know, engaging in conversations, facing rejection, also, you know, meeting people who you would not have met before. At what point did you say, I want to move ministry into the online digital space? So that wouldn't happen until maybe the ninth year of that, that line of ministry. So I was teaching at a Bible college in Philadelphia at the time. And I had a student who was a part of the program whose story kind of blew my mind away because uh, truth be told, I was not interested in social media ministry at all. I remember way back when listening to a seminar called MySpace Disgrace. Some of you guys will remember MySpace from back in the days. I still think social media peaked at MySpace. I really enjoyed MySpace as a platform. Um, But I heard a message called MySpace Disgrace, which you would have heard a version of this message at pretty much any Christian conference you would have gone to at the time. And the conclusion was social media is evil, it's wicked, it's this terrible thing that's rotting the brains of our young people and sapping away any hunger that they have for spirituality, which true, it's still true to this day, absolutely. The conclusion, though, was therefore get off the platform Mm -hmm. and spend your time in other spaces that are going to be more meaningful. So that's what I did. I quit social media, deleted all my accounts, all the different things, all all the different types of things. And then I meet Michael Choynoski III, a student at the Bible college that I'm teaching at. And his whole story challenged that entire paradigm where he became a Christian. In fact, I had the privilege of baptizing him in one of the rivers there in Philadelphia because of a YouTube video. And it was the first time I'd ever thought about something like this. Here I am preparing lessons for 11 students. And when I get to preach at a church, it's a small church, 100 people, give or take. And I will run door to door for eight hours a day in the hot sun in the hopes of reaching one person with the good news. And then all that's challenged, is this the best way to do it given the tools that we have today? Because if someone like Michael can come to faith because of a YouTube video, well, what are we talking about here? Because a YouTube video, when you understand the principles, can reach dozens of people, hundreds of people, thousands, maybe even millions of people. And so it was from that little seed that was planted saying, oh my goodness, maybe there's a more effective way to get the gospel in front of people that need it. What would it look like to embrace online ministry? And so from Michael's story, I was inspired and decided, all right, I'm going to start doing this. Initially, it was, you know, after my full-time job. So I'm very sympathetic to any listeners who like, but I have work to do. Like, I get it. I've been there. I work 40 hours a week, which tongue in cheek, again, you know, if you're in full-time ministry, it's never just 40 hours a week. But I would come home from work and then I would still put in the hours to learn a skill set that I never practiced before, how to create content, how to edit video, how to optimize for social media, all the things. And I would do this after work. And long story short, ended up uh, going all the way in about 10 months after I started, not because things were popping off. I was still only had like 300 subscribers at the time. So it wasn't anything super meaningful, but just felt that the Lord was inviting me to really lean in. And the question of what if, uh, when, if I get to the end of my life, what if I had actually tried my best and put my best efforts into this thing that God placed on my heart? What if? 
And so I, I did not want to have to think about that. I did not want to have to find out what it felt like to be on the other side of a what if. I would way rather try something because I think that the spirit is calling me to do it and then air quotes fail, then never try something at all and have to wonder what if. Justin, that's so good. Um, somebody needs to tweet that um, or sorry, I don't know if it was tweet, but post that. Somebody needs to post <laughs> sure. that, right? Because I think a lot of us, we're operating out of that fear. Like fear is keeping us from actually doing the thing that God is calling us to do, right? And mm -hmm. that's where uh, faith, that's where courage really comes in. Uh, comes in. But I, I'm telling you, it's fascinating to me. In my mind, before you just told us this story, I thought you were a young person on YouTube and you were using YouTube, you were using social media, then you fell in love with the Lord. And then you said, how can I merge these two? And it's actually the other way around where mm -hmm. here it is, you were working full time and you saw the effectiveness of this tool. And you said, let me see how I could use this for ministry. Yeah. You know, at the heart of it all, my goal, one of, one of the ways that I want to spend my life is trying to tell as many people as will listen about the good news. Uh, and so for me, knocking on doors was actually a logical extension of this idea. Because sure, could I pass her? Yeah, I think there's a reasonable sense I could have attempted this this line of work. But for me, if I were to pastor, that means for you know, the vast majority of my time, I'd probably be serving, let's call it one to 300 people. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in, in, in my faith context, there's not a lot of mega churches, mm -hmm. nor do I know that I have the skill set to rise to the top percent of a percent kind of a thing and, and preach to thousands, if not more. And so to think that it would take me a week to speak to 200 people who may not really want to necessarily uh, push past the discomfort and, and challenge their worldview or whatever the case is, I thought knocking on doors was a much better way because I could reach two or 300 people every single day. Wow. And so for me, being a literature evangelist was the logical extension of believing that the good news changes people's lives and I had a responsibility and a privilege to share that good news. Yeah. So that's why I was doing literature evangelism. It was not because of job security, because I definitely didn't have it. It wasn't because of money, because I definitely wasn't getting very much. And it wasn't because it would make my life easy. It actually made my life a lot more complicated. My first year of marriage, I was still doing this work. And because of the nature of my work, I had spent 167 days out of the house of my first year of marriage. It was very, very tough, very difficult. Wow. Wow. But it was a logical extension of wanting to live a life on mission. So then when I realized, oh, I could do the same thing, if not literally multiple times more through the internet, I was like, wow, that's like, I have to be willing to explore what that looks like. Just the simple possibility of it needs to be explored. Yeah, that's great. So our guest today is Justin Cole, and we're talking to him about his journey and the lessons we are pulling out. And Justin, it is clear to me and it's clear to everyone watching this, you are an evangelist. That's <laughs> like, you know, I mean, and, and sometimes we... When we hear evangelists, there are so many pictures that come in our minds as evangelists, right? And we limit it into boxes and spaces and wherever, right? It's just the same way we do with ministry. Mm -hmm. But you're showing us, hey, I am passionate about people getting to know God, getting to accept the good news. And I, I went out knocking on doors and now I found this tool of YouTube, right? The internet and digital market, di digital tools, and I began using them. So talk to us about you evangelists now shifting. And you said giving this time to learning this tool and where this, start, where this took you. So uh, when I had that conversation with my wife, I would come home 
God had made it clear to me that this was the next step to take. I had to come home and have a very uh, raw conversation with my wife. And the tone of the message was more or less, God's made it clear to me, this is what I think he's calling me to do. Uh, translation, read between the lines. That means that you're going to pay the bills now and I'm going to make videos on the internet, which was a very tough, you know, you think about it, that's a, that's a tough conversation to have for, for newlyweds. Um, but my wife is a woman of faith and was willing to, to, to trust that what God had revealed to me was, was a good move for us. And so she said, yes. And so the conversation was around what's going to happen in the first year. Give me 12 months to try this thing. Uh, rather than look at it as, am I a success or a failure by making X number of money or growing an audience? I'm just going to be faithful for a year and see what happens. We'll treat it like a digital missions year. Uh, in the same way that you might take a gap year in, in between college or you might go on a, a, on a mission trip long-term or something along those lines, I would just treat what I was doing as a year of service to the Lord. And after 12 months, we'd reevaluate uh, what's working, what's not working. And if it's very clear that this is a fail attempt or that this is not going to have any, any possibility of sustainability, then you know I'll, I'll go back to the way that things were. I'll, I'll go back and get my, my regular job, that kind of a thing. Um, and so we went for, for 12 months and what happened was, uh, in 12 months, I grew an audience of like 10,000 people on YouTube, which at the time was a very large number and kind of blew my mind because here I am speaking to more people than I would have ever spoken to just to give the context. It took me 10 years to reach a hundred thousand people door to door. And now I was having the opportunity, not just through the subscribers, but through general people who are watching the content, I'd be reaching this many people every single month, if not many times more that every single month. And so it became clear to us that there was absolutely something behind this. And when we looked at the landscape of how many people in the church space were willing to, to, to kind of brave the challenges of online ministry, it seemed like it was near zero. Mm -hmm. Now, in fact, in my faith tradition, there were nobody, you know, there was no one in the U.S. except for one other person that I could actively name. And so it seemed clear that not only was there value in doing it myself, but secondarily, from the beginning, my goal was not only to, to have my own ministry, but to learn enough about what I was doing to be able to then teach other people. So rather than just uh, uh, speaking to a church congregation myself, I could reach many times more people, but then through multiplication and training others, training pastors and evangelists and missionaries to use the same skill set that I had learned, I could have a multiplicative uh, effect on the world. I love that. And we're going to dig into the teaching part, part of it, because I think that's important as we talk about monetizing your ministry. I think mm -hmm. anyone who's monetizing has to, has to think teaching, has mm -hmm. to think, how can I multiply myself? Justin, what year was that? Because I want to see if this connects with when we first met. What year was that that you did? It, it, it probably worked? is right around when we connect. I went full-time online ministry 2016, I believe, is around October of 2016. You're right. I think we met right around that time. It was in Houston. It was at um, Fruition Lab put on by Jeff Tatarchuk. Yeah, I that would have been my first time, year of full-time. Yeah. I remember that time your business model was more, you were getting donations from individuals Correct. people were funding your ministry you were Correct. you were looking for different i don't know if it's grants but it's more like people's generosity kind of yeah. talk about that part of that that part of it because we're talking about monetizing and there are different ways people can make it but that was the first way you started so the the only way that I had context for what I was attempting to do was the church space. I, I'm not I was not a, a serial entrepreneur. This is my very first endeavor of trying anything like that. And so I was actually very averse to launching products and services because my content was so focused on preaching the good news. 
And so it felt very icky to try and think of a way to monetize that. It, did, it didn't yeah. feel right. And so my only kind of financial mechanism was trying to mobilize the goodwill of my audience. And so in the same way that people will give monthly to a church or they'll give monthly to a ministry, I simply invited people who saw the vision of what I was attempting to accomplish to partner with me by becoming monthly donors or monthly givers. And that worked to a level but knowing what I know now, I would have really just wanted to challenge that underlying belief that it is wrong to monetize your ministry. Because what I now know is that I'm able to accomplish significantly greater for, for the kingdom by monetizing my ministry than if I had held on to some, some sense of purity in my ministry by not monetizing it. I, I would just challenge that presupposition starkly because what I now know is you'll accomplish a lot more if you figure out the mechanism to monetize. You know, Justin, let's stay here for a second because I think that mindset is actually holding a lot of people back mm -hmm. from putting things out, products, services mm -hmm. that God has given them that has value. I think there's some things we do that are, we do that, that have monetary value and it's for people who are part of the body and it's also from the body for the world but mm -hmm. anytime we have that mindset of oh it's wrong to charge it's wrong to put a price it actually limits and hinders us from actually having the impact that god has called us to have kind of talk to us about it and what helped you to shift that mindset yeah i i think that the challenge is that we have not done the work of understanding how the gospel impacts every part of your life so if we think that ministry proper is just the preaching of the gospel, it's like reading from the book kind of a thing and giving Bible studies, then yeah, obviously monetizing that's going to feel really icky. No one wants to be the televangelist that is selling God's blessing. So I'm not suggesting that you do that. But instead, I am really inviting you to think about the unique way that you understand the gospel impacts other felt needs of a person's life. So for example, uh, one of the things I, I work with with my students is how do I help them leverage their expertise for audience growth and then be able to actually deliver on that expertise in a way that will be very reasonably compensated. So for example, let's say that someone has uh, additional credentials in mental health, for example. Um, they can create resources that are for free, whether that's content, podcasts, YouTube videos, ebooks, fill in the blank. And they're able to talk about how the gospel speaks meaningfully to the way that we think, the way that we perceive the world, the way that we, we, we build habits and how that affects our mental health. It's like, cool. So that's all available for free. But what you could offer is access to you as a coach. So the resources are free, but many times people want some one-on-one -on -one back and forth advice about how they can actually put this into practice. And so someone who's been credentialed in the area of mental health, uh, coaching or counseling or something along those lines, it's totally within reason to start a practice, to be able to say, you know what, uh, if you want to do a, a one hour session with me, here's the market rate, here's what I'm doing, like mm -hmm. all that is great. But now when we realize that you can use social media as the way to put content out there for free, and then for those who really find a, like a connection with what you're putting out there, they might actually want and feel like it's a, a, an ad service to have an hour of your time. Then we start to think about things a little bit differently. So for example, I have a friend of mine who, who, who creates content around um, 
the gospel as it pertains to addiction and lust specifically. Mm, and so yeah. he's creating content for free all the time about how Jesus has set us free from addiction, how we no longer need to be slaves to lust. And he's sharing his story. Mm -hmm. He's giving uh, amazing Bible verses. He's sharing prayers. He's doing all these things for free. But at some point, it absolutely would make sense that if someone wants to have one-on-one -on -one sessions with my friend, that he could then offer that as a coaching package where he's not selling out the gospel. What he's offering is access to himself. That's so good. it's a very different way of thinking about the way that we show up in, li in the lives of people. And it just makes sense. And now, for context, we do this all the time in ministry. Think about it this way. Pastors write books all the time. Right. And no one would think that it's, it's improper for a pastor to sell a book that they took the time to write. Right. So in the same way, realize that, that digital courses or coaching programs are just the modern iteration of books. And in right. fact, what you can offer in a personalized coaching uh, session can actually go deeper than what you could offer through a written book because of the personalization and the contextualization of what your expertise is about. That's so good, Justin. I really, you you just nailed that in terms of helping us to just see maybe some of the holes in our thinking. Because I think for a lot of us, it's sincere. No, no one, we're not questioning anyone's sincerity. And, and actually, I think it's our sincerity that's causing us to really question, can I, should I? But if we want to, first of all, um, be faithful to what God has given us and then be, then, then be impactful on the people that God has put us in touch with, I think this is definitely a, a natural progression. You, you said it, books. People, people are, we, we understand products. But your time is so valuable. It's the most valuable resource that you have. Justin, you mentioned um, you're a husband, you're a father. And the time that you, if you were to give away all the time that you're now giving to people, teaching them what you spent time learning, you have to take that time away from your family. Mm-hmm. And so you have to be, I think we understand, you need to be compensated for that. And for you who, who are watching this, you're listening to this, understand the time that you're giving people for free, you're, you, you're taking away from the people who love you the most and the ones you love the most. And I think I just want to just encourage you to kind of look at it through that lens as well. Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd help people realize that if you're taking a full-time salary from a church to do ministry, you are monetizing your ministry. That's true. So, so let's remove any pretense that says, oh, I don't do that. It's like, hold on. If you're a pastor, <laughs> if you serve in any ministerial capacity that's not volunteer, just, just recognize, and this is not bad, but you are already monetizing your presence. You're already monetizing your services. So what, what I'm just simply advocating for is there's a way to do that through, uh, through online ministry that actually allows you to scale your impact and scale your reach so that you can actually be a good steward of your time and your influence when it comes to at home. So I'm able to, when, when, when people come, because I have it all the time, people come and visit the island, I'm able to take an afternoon to spend with them. I'm able to take a lazy Sunday uh, with my family and no stress, no emails, no nothing, because I've actually thought through the systems of scale and how to use social Ooh. media to be able to grab awareness, to serve people at a deeper level, to build a, a, a list of clients who are interested in my products and services, and then to build systems of scale and actually delivering those things. So not only am I able to do more for the kingdom, but I'm also able to be a better steward of my time. I love it. I love it. Justin, so we make, we're making the shift now in your story. And we're gonna, I want to come back to systems of scale. I wrote that, that term down because I want to hear mm -hmm. you talk about that. But you made the shift. So it was primarily donation. We talked about that. 
Mm-hmm. Talk about the first time you started putting out anything other than just give to me. How did you now monetize in products or services? What what was the first thing and kind of talk about that journey? So the second thing was uh, an evolution of the desire not to monetize the gospel, so to speak. So when I think about products and services, that was that was absolutely the the the, the paradigm that I had right there. So what I started to do is realize that in creating content and being able to drive awareness, I was building a skill set that was really valuable in the marketplace. And the skill set was content creation. A lot of people feel very incapable when it comes to jumping on a camera. As you can tell, I'm, I'm a little bit past that. I'm a little bit comfortable. Something yeah, about yeah. talking to 100,000 strangers and knocking on the door means that I don't have that shyness anymore, at least when it shows up. It's very easily stewarded in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. And so I, I could hop on a camera. I could hop on a microphone. I could actually present content and interview people with a certain level of competency. And so what I realized is that as I was a little bit further ahead of those in the industry, in the church space, so to speak, that there was value in me offering my talents as a podcast host, for example, uh, offering my skills as a documentarian, for example. And so I ended up offering those services to the church in creating products and services that they actually felt like they needed. So for example, I've I've launched a, a documentary with a friend of mine called the Humans of Adventism documentary. It's a bunch of yep. short stories that are really beautiful in bringing out the kind of human elements of members of the church. So that was a, a documentary that we sold to the church and then produced. I've hosted, for example, the Growing Young podcast, which I got contracted to do something like 30 or 40 episodes of a podcast. I could deliver that in a very reasonable amount of time and build a system of support around it. So all I had to do was a part that I'm good at, which is interview people and and present on, on camera, so to speak. And from there, I'm offering products and services to the church, whereas the church would probably have to hire someone full time. Mm-hmm. And it would take them a year or more to launch a podcast, for example. Right. I know of one of the entities in my church denomination where they literally did that. They brought on a person, graduated from college. They paid them a full-time equivalent, benefits and all the things. And what they got a year later was a podcast that was fantastic, but it did take them a year to produce, which means if you just read between the lines, all the budgets, all the things, it probably cost them $100,000 to produce one season of a podcast. I could offer a season of a podcast in a quarter of the time, reach more people because I actually understand the marketing mechanisms behind it. And it would take me, or it, it would it would take me, like it would feel like just fun. I'm hanging out with my friends, having conversations. And so uh, they're able to get a better product, more of it in a faster amount of time and better results from it because I was leveraging what I had to learn as a product and service. Yeah. You know, so interestingly, you, you said something about um, not being shy because I was knocking on doors. It's always interesting to me, and I, I want p- our listeners, our viewers to hear this. The skills you develop just serving people, mm-hmm. they, they'll show up in other places, right? There is no wasted experience. There's no wasted knowledge, right? They show up at sometimes the most random times, at times when you're like, wait a minute. Why is it that I'm good at this? Oh, wait a minute. I did this and I served here and I did this ministry here. And now it's now producing for me, you know, um, income because it's developed something within me. So you talk about skill set and you said skill set a few times. And so just kind of talk to the fact that the skills that you're even applying to TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, how many of those skills you see as being developed through 
other things you did in ministry? Pretty much all of it. Um, the, the only skill set that maybe I had to acquire in order to show up on a video that I didn't have prior is literally like editing a video, mm -hmm. which all things being equal, that's the, the, the easiest thing to outsource out of all of them. Uh, if you don't know how to edit video and that's the major reason why you're not starting online, good news, you can find someone who can do that for you. It's, it's actually very easy to do. Um, but everything else was something that was thoroughly informed by my experience. Uh, the willingness to show up and expose yourself in a kind of somewhat vulnerable manner was absolutely honed through knocking on doors and getting the doors slammed in my face day after day, like literally a hundred or more times every single day. Gosh. Most people don't have to deal with the rejection, but once a month, if that. So I have a massive advantage in that I've been rejected far more times than the vast majority of people have ever attempted something. So that's been huge. So I'm not afraid of air quotes failing, even if failing publicly by putting something out there that doesn't get the kind of traction that you want. Because I've developed the thickness of skin that has distanced my value from my production. Like I've had enough $0 days knocking on doors where I had to wrestle through identity. Because if you don't have a healthy sense of your value and your worth, that your identity is somehow distant from your production, you believe the lie that the lack of results has something to do with you, that you are somehow fundamentally flawed. And so I had to learn that lesson day after day after day after day. So what it means is I'm willing to take at-bats till the cows come home. I'm willing to put stuff out there every single day and just trust the process and allow the spirit of God to just slowly build up whatever is needed in the amount of time that he, de he deems necessary. Whereas others might try something once, reach 12 people, call themselves failures and never try again. I'll do it a hundred times. When I, when I test something nowadays, I'll test something 50 times before I make a conclusion or a judgment about whether or not it's worth it or not. Most people in the lifespan of their content creation don't even get to 50 attempts. Wow. So I think that that's a huge, huge advantage. Uh, I'm knocking on doors, talking to people means that I've had to learn how to grab people's attention, which comes very in handy in writing hooks. Uh, my, my experience talking to uh, people of all different faith persuasions and political persuasions and lifestyle choices has meant that I have to learn how to communicate in a way that is, is not alienated unnecessarily. A lot of pastors struggle to talk to people that aren't part of their congregation because yeah. they don't have any friends that are outside of their faith dynamic. And so the vernacular, the words that they choose, the way that they share what they would uh, deem as valuable is, is, is colored by their circle of people that are, are very close to them and their lack of diversity. And so all of this, like I'll just say that literally everything that I do is influenced by those 10 years. And it's been a huge blessing. Wow. That is so, I mean, if you are listening to this, you're watching this, what you're doing in ministry, the muscles that you're growing are going to be used for something, can be used for something else. That's so right. Justin, you take us through this monetization journey, right? It's donations. Then you're selling services, right? Mm -hmm. You are, you, you are, um, doing a service for an org for organizations, for churches, etc. Tell it where where does products and the coaching where does where does this fall in this part of the journey? Because and, and maybe you could tell us kind of lead lead into what you're doing now. Yeah, so the product uh, the products side of things is a newer development. So I for for context, I'm still doing the service based okay. thing. I'm still creating uh, courses or products for church entities. I still today hold a monthly contract with an online ministry where I'm offering my services as their pretty much their, their marketing director for the ministry. So I'm still doing that. And that's providing a level of stability. 
in the last year, though, there's been an increased desire on my end of things to be able to have a greater sense of ownership as to uh, the level of income that I'm able to have. And the reason is because about a, about a year ago, a little over a year ago, I was counting on an important contract for a service that I was offering. Um, I don't have to get into the details of it, but what happened was there was some political maneuvering behind the scenes. And long story short, I was canceled. Uh, there was an attempt to cancel not only my ministry, but my person. And so as a result, in order to kind of uh, ease things over, that contract basically got canceled for me. And it was a hit to multiple t uh, tens of thousands of dollars. And that was after moving to Hawaii and making this big leap of faith to follow God's call on my life that I couldn't afford. And so there was a desire to take greater ownership over how I'm monetizing. And this was, again, something that I felt led by the Lord to do prior to this. And it was just one of the many ways that God was confirming it. So maybe a take-home lesson is even when obstacles show up, don't somehow interpret those as though God is removing a blessing or somehow that you've stepped out of line. But instead, what I have found is that the obstacles are often the ways that God actually helps you to take a turn when you wouldn't have otherwise. I'll say it this way. I was very comfortable doing the services side of things because it was easy. It was mm -hmm. actually very easy for me to do. I didn't have to stress about it. And so I was happy doing it. But now what I know on the other side of offering products is that like my life is significantly more enriched. I can have a greater impact on the kingdom and all the benefits of for my family as a father and as a husband. I wouldn't have taken that step. I, and in fact, I was thinking about taking that step for many years, but never executed on it because of the perceived risk. Getting canceled was one of the best things for me because it forced me out of necessity to adapt. So what did I do? I started to offer my uh, insights and to distill down the frameworks and the structures for my ministry to create a product that I call the Digital Missionary Academy. And so now, all of those years of ministry and all those years in digital ministry come together in really having clarity on how to help pastors specifically learn how to reach their first million people with the gospel. Because of my experience in ministry, I understand pastors at a reasonably uh, deep level. I understand what they want. I understand their thinking. I understand their challenges. And I think that this experience sets me apart from the general marketing coach that's out there. There's a lot of people that are really fantastic YouTube uh, mentors, people who could teach you marketing and social media. But the problem is, is that they don't know the kinds of people that I know in the way that I know them. And so most pastors, if they buy fill in the blank course, they still have to do all the interpretive work of contextualizing the advice for their local context. And that's a lot of work. It shouldn't be over uh, understated, but I don't have to do any of that because I deeply understand it. And so I can just present the content in the exact way that would be valuable to pastors specifically. And because of my experience in digital missions, I have the strategic insight to what's working. So it's this perfect uh, combination of my years in traditional ministry and my years in success in online ministry, packaging it together to help pastors do what they ultimately want to do, which is preach the gospel to more people. They want to see fruit from their online ministry. A, a lot of pastors feel somewhat discouraged by the slow moving nature of the church. It's, it's like trying, uh, it, it's just like watching paint dry in many right. instances where you feel trapped, you feel like it's ineffective, you wonder if it's actually working because you just feel like a, a, a sanctified babysitter in many ways. 
Yeah. You, they've called you to, 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 to cast a vision as long as the vision doesn't have to require anything from them. And so for many pastors, when they realize that online is a way for them to fully embrace what God has called them to do and actually be able to reach the kinds of people that their church may not be able to reach, it's a very exciting thing. But how? I don't know how to create content. I don't know how to write content. I don't even know what platforms to start with, what gear to purchase, much less all the strategic insights that allow people to go from initial view to getting baptized and in the pew. I understand how to do that. And so I'm able to package all of this thing in a training program called the Digital Missionary Academy that is so valuable to most pastors because many pastors, they'll spend tens of thousands of dollars on a single evangelistic event. You're lucky to baptize half a dozen people, dozen people. I don't know. You know the numbers if you're right, a pastor right, listening right. to this. And you're putting tens of thousands of dollars into this for a literal fraction of what most pastors are spending on uh, traditional evangelism. I can give them a skill set that allows them to scale into the millions of people and actually see fruit in their local context. One of my students who went through my program, in one minute, he shot a video following the frameworks and the teachings of my, of my academy. It took him literally one minute to film this video. He put it out there. It goes viral. 1.1 million people were reached. This guy is talking to hundreds of people who are engaging with the, in the conversations and all that, which can sound very scary. This is why you need systems of scale. But long story short, he held a gathering in North Carolina. 50 people showed up in person wow. without spending anything on advertising. 12, or was it? Sorry, not 12. Six people were baptized. Wow. Wow. So when you realize that the things that you want, which is reaching people with the gospel, like you can do that online in a very meaningful and transformative way. So we've gotten used to, to, to getting random pictures of people getting baptized as a result of online ministry is kind of just becoming more and more normal. We're getting used to having hundreds of people showing up to Bible studies. Like I run a Bible study every single Sunday. We had like 82 people last week. We had 72 the, the week before. We had over 100 the week before that. It's very normal. And we're not spending any money on advertising. No handbills are being sent out. No marketing agencies. I don't have to call up my local radio and ask them to do a little blurb about my evangelist. I'm just simply serving people. And as a result, the kingdom of God is impacted. So that, that's why the product is, has been so powerful is because when I'm able to not only do it for myself, but to teach others how to do it, that's where we're going to be able to see this multiplication effect for the kingdom. Yeah. And, and for you, anyone who's watching this, you got to have some way that you can multiply yourself. You talk about monetizing your ministry. So Justin, I'm going to try to fit in a couple questions here sure, before sure. we end. You mentioned pastors right this is this is your audience and for some people i can hear uh their objection to them monetizing their stuff pastors don't spend money this is not an audience they don't spend money on this what would you say to that person who says when they figure out what their audience is this is not a group that spends money on this what do you say to that objection and that you've overcome yeah i, I don't know that i that there are many more financially reserved audiences than pastors. Right. Uh, one, in part, <laughs> because pastors just don't make enough money in many right. instances. And two, even when they do, they have the whole stewardship mentality. So they're, they're really risk averse. And then three, there's just the general context of like church people, generally speaking, like they say something like Sunday afternoons are the worst for waiters because yeah, yeah, all the yeah, church yeah, people yeah. show up in their restaurants. Like, yeah. So there's all of this layer upon layer. It's a challenge. And like, yeah, I get that. What has helped me is to do what I just did with you, which is to compare what they're currently spending on 
and they're spending a lot of money on and your solution, which is better in every way and cheaper in every way. I think when you do it that way, when you, you're not just creating a new product that needs to be purchased from, from nothing, but instead realize, help, help your audience realize they are spending money on something already. Awareness to that and then compare the old ways to the new ways. That to me has been very, very helpful uh, and helps me to overcome a lot of those obstacles of like, I don't know if we want to take the risk. It's like, all right, cool. Keep taking the risk that you're already taking by doing what you're currently doing or try a better way. If you think that there's even a remote possibility that my solution is able to deliver on what I'm claiming it's able to deliver and I have proof via testimonials and all that kind of stuff, then really you're just a fool for not giving it a shot. Yeah. Yeah. Justin Ori, I, I caught that evangelist and sales pitch and the clothes. I saw it. I saw it. If, 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 if no one else saw it, I saw it. The evangelist came out and then you had the sales. Well, what, what is this costing you? What is, what are you already? And that was, that was great. And so I, I love it. Um, make sure. I'm... All right. Now you mentioned systems of scale, <laughs> systems of scale. Talk about that and how you've employed that to, to work in, in your business. So one of the ways that I've found a lot of value in scaling is realizing and breaking from the mentality that everything has to be one-on-one. I think one of the better elements of social media culture is that it's one-to-many. And so whether that's from a marketing perspective, rather than going door-to-door one at a time, you can scale that by simply doing one-to-many via social media so that you can already multiply many times, hundreds, if not literally thousands of times more effective than doing the one-to-one. So that's one level of scale that you can tap into. Number two, in delivering the actual product or service, you can scale that as well. So rather than get, I'm using a Bible study as an example, rather than giving Bible studies one-on-one-on-one, you can actually give Bible studies one to a hundred and you're scaling your time in that same way. And what you've got to realize is that's that's not a dilution of the value for many people. That's actually a better value proposition for a lot of people in the online culture. I'll give you an example. A lot of people feel really confronted to do a one-on-one Bible study that they'll never say yes to it. But the ability to show up into a group event and disappear into the background with no camera on, no avatar, not even their real name showing, and be able to sit in a communal experience and still just kind of overhear, that is a huge value proposition. You know how many times I have people who said, uh, who will turn on their camera and they'll share their story, but they'll say, I've been coming for six months. I've been hanging out here for a year, coming week after week after week. And it's the first time I've turned my camera on. I get that message all the time. And so being able to realize that you can go deeper with people when you release them from the kind of one-on-one contract enables, enables you to be able to scale significantly higher when it comes to something along those lines. And then realizing that social media is inherently the way to scale because you can create one piece of content. If you're strategic with your message and how you formulate, formulate it and how you capture it and how you package it, no longer do you have to choose between being a podcaster or a YouTuber. No longer do you have to choose between being a, a, a blogger or a TikToker. You can literally do all of them. And so through one layer of work, if it's finely tuned, you can now be creating quite literally hundreds of pieces of content every single month for a fraction of the time that it would take for anything else. And so there's so many layers of scale and then not even to think about what does it look like to start building a team around you, to start doing the things that you don't necessarily love. There's, there's just so many opportunities. And when you think about how do you 10X rather than how do you 2X, this, it's actually, Ooh. that's a shout out to Ooh. a book that I'm reading right now. And that's the book I'm reading now. Oh, it's so good, isn't it? It is. So, let, let's talk about this. 
if you were to think about how do you double your effectiveness, that's not a hard question to answer. It's right. a hard question to do. It's like a, it's a hard solution to put into practice. But how do you 2x your effectiveness? Work twice as hard. Right. It's very reasonable to conceive of how to do it. Right. It, would, it would require some blood, sweat, and tears. Right. But in order to answer the question, how do you 10x what you're currently getting? You actually have to think qualitatively different. That's you right. cannot survive working 10 times as hard unless you're right. like literally doing nothing. So in order to tax your ministry, you actually have to think about solving your problems in different ways. And this is the crazy thing about it. It is just as hard to 10x your results as it is to 2x. In fact, they're the Even same easier. level of effort. Yeah, yeah it, it's actually easier. That's the crazy thing. Because right. in order to think about 10xing your results, you think about what are the parts that are always slowing me down? How do I get rid of those? Right. How do I outsource that? And yeah. this is one of those things that for me has been so transformative for my, for my online ministry is really just realizing that I can build a team. It doesn't have to be all about That's me. Good. And good. as I 10X, I'm just focused on what I'm uniquely gifted to do. Their, uniquely gifting, uh, their unique gifts are showing up in, in the ways that they're serving. And we're able to exponentially grow our, our, our platforms and our reach and our impact. So to me, 10X is the way to go. Thinking about how do you scale absolutely has to be the foundation of everything that we're doing. I love it. Justin, you are, this is like a masterclass. So I'm just going to ask you some rapid fire on this. How many followers on Instagram would you say you, your, your Instagram platform? Uh, about 70,000. Okay. Um, YouTube. It's not, it's not huge. Uh, yeah. and for context, I, I want, I want, because that, that actually matters. I used to think that you need a million to make a living. Mm-hmm. I had my first launch. So I'll, I'll say this. I had like 3,000 followers like a, a year ago. So one, there's growth. That's really cool. But a year ago, I had 3,000 followers. I started offering products and services. And on my first launch, had something like $35,000 in sales. Wow. So all that to say, that, that's a bit, uh, humble brag. Whatever, like, <laughs> that's not the point. The point being this is that the distance in between where you're at and what it looks like to monetize your ministry is much closer than you think. Yes, you need to grow your audience to a certain level, but it's untrue that you need tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people following you before you can actually monetize. You can do it with a relatively small audience. And so this is the crazy part is that when you start thinking outside of this box that you've been placing yourself in for all these years, you realize that there's an actual way to close that gap. So yes, you can grow your audience, but you can monetize much faster than you than you think you could. Okay, so I was going to ask you something else, but you said this, so this is going to be a better question. Okay. Someone has that small audience. They got the, the low thousands mm-hmm. and they want to launch and and they they're thinking I got to I got to get up to 70, right? Cuz that's what Justin is now. Mm-hmm. What give us maybe one or two tips for persons with smaller audiences if they're getting ready to put a product or a service out there? It's the most helpful thing to think about problems and solutions. So what are solutions that you are good at offering? And from there, you need to be able to get clear on what are the questions and what are the problems that people are experiencing that result in you showing up on the other end of this. So uh, rather than just creating any kind of random content, you got to start being focused on solving a specific person's problems. The more that you're able to do that successfully, then what happens is when you show up on the other side of their search or recommendations, you are no longer viewed as a nuisance, but as a resource. You are value leading. 
And so every content that you, you put out there is thinking about their pain point, is thinking about the questions that they're asking. And by doing that specifically, when you make the offer for going deeper with you, they're gonna realize, this is exactly what I've been wanting all along because through the free content, through the value-driven content, you are proving your competency in this area of pain. And so uh, we see this all the time. Like, let's say uh, I have a lower back pain. And so I go onto YouTube and I'm looking up corrective exercises for back pain. And I, I find a chiropractor or a PT who's giving all these like, you know, workout advice and, you know, ways to tweak my, my, the ergonomics of my desk so that my yeah, body yeah, is yeah. more aligned. Boom. Everything, all of a sudden everything gets fixed. Like, I'm like, wow, I feel really, 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 really good. And then God forbid I'm out there running out there, playing some flag football or playing volleyball, fill in the blank. And I, and I tear a hamstring. And then I realized that the same chiropractor who solved my lower back pain now has a rehab program that I can do at home with no equipment in 20 minutes or less per day that will help address my torn hamstring and help me get to the point where it's future proof or it's, it's a bulletproof. So that way in the future, it doesn't happen again. Boom. Because I trust him in solving a problem, I will now trust him in solving my next problem. And so you got to think about problems and solutions. What are the problems that you're uniquely qualified to, uh, to solve? And then that's how you start to position your content. And that's how you start to position the products and services. I love it. I love it. Justin, um, let me get you out on this last question. And I want you to tell people how they can connect with you. So, sure. Justin, you've been in business how many years would you say now? I've been a full-time digital missionary now for, I think it's eight years. Okay. Something along those lines. Okay. I want you to talk to Justin eight years ago. What's one bit of advice you would tell that Justin based on the knowledge you've gained? You know, in, in many ways, I think that I did it right, mm. which is not what you would hear a lot. Cause um, I, I, I think that this, the paradigm of this question is an attempt to get to where you're at today faster than you mm. did. Okay. Okay. And hey, cool. Like if there's a way to do that, fantastic. But what I've come to believe, and I hope it's clear here, is that every step along the way is not wasted. Every door that was knocked on contributed to where I am today. And so every year where I wasn't making money doing online ministry did contribute to what I'm able to provide as an offer and a service today. And so I don't actually think that I would try to accelerate the pace. I think I would attempt to help a, a younger version of Justin live with a bit more contentment in his current season and to really rest in his trust in a God who is ordering his steps every step along the way. So my advice would be, Justin, just focus on being faithful today. Don't worry about the end from the beginning. Don't worry about the monetization. Don't worry about navigating, building a business and all these things. These things will happen in time. God will bring you the people that you know will take you to the next level. And this is actually how it's literally happened. Um, he'll bring you the right person. And if you just say yes at the right time, then you'll be moved into the next stage. Every single layer of significant growth that I've had in my ministry has always come via the connection point between myself and a coach that I was not actively looking for. There have been a few, a, a, a small handful of times where somewhat serendipitously, they have showed up in my feed, they have showed up in my consciousness, they have showed up in my experience where it was clear what God was leading me through at that time connected so deeply with what the coach was offering on the other end. And every single one of those moments required faith via cha-ching, if you understand yeah, what I'm yeah, saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, coaching is not 
cheap. Yeah, I mean, you right. can watch a thousand podcasts or you could hire a coach who will help you just know the three podcasts or the three things that you need to know. Yeah. So every evolution in my online ministry and every evolution in my monetization of this ministry came as the, at the result of a coach. And I believe that this is one of the ways of the Holy Spirit delivering on, I will, I will guide you and I will lead you. You will hear a voice behind you saying, turn to the left, turn to the right. This is the way, walk in it. For me, that has always been the thing. And so for me, whenever I am tempted to give in to the emotions of anxiety and just feeling a sense of hurry and whatever the case is, what I return to today is just the, all right, take a breath. Where's home base? Home base is that God's in control. He's the CEO. If he knows what I need before I ask, why do I need to stress? Because he will bring the right thing to me when I need it. So any sense in which I'm operating from lack is unnecessary. All I need to do is focus on being faithful today. I love it. I love it. Justin, that's a mic drop moment right there. That's a mic drop moment. Um, in, in, in another setting, I would say the doors of the church are now open. Um, <laughs> Justin, tell people how they can find you. What's the best way to connect with you online and then give us some websites? Yeah. Because the, the audience that I have, mm-hmm. I know they need what you have for um, reaching people mm-hmm. on social media. So talk well, to you, give us how to connect with you. Let, let me push back gently and just saying, I don't think that what I offer is for everybody. Sure. Uh, and this is in part, like this is the clarity on knowing which problems I want to solve and which ones I don't want to solve. So mm-hmm. this is not for everybody, but for the ones who have been feeling like uh, they've been called to online ministry, they really feel like this is the season to go all in, to really stop making excuses. You don't need any requisite skills. You just need a willingness to learn. If that's you, uh, then just send me a message. It's actually as simple as sending a DM to me on Instagram at jku, J-K-H-O-E, or on Facebook, or if you prefer email, hello at justinku.com. And I'd be happy to talk to you, to d- jump on a call, to hear your story and where you feel like God is calling you and, and, and to discover, am I a good fit for you? Am I able to help you or not? And if I'm not able to help you, I'll just tell you, like, sorry, like there's someone else better out there for you. But if it's a good fit, we can hop on the call and we can discover this together and I can walk you through what the next steps would look like. I would absolutely love to work with the right people, the right churches, the right ministries. If your goal is scaling your online ministry to the point where you're reaching millions of people with the gospel. Not only that, are you able to see hundreds of people taking those next steps to join you in Bible study or your small groups or discipleship classes? That's something that we're seeing every single month. Or if you're wanting the person to to, to be able to see butts in seats as a result of the content that you're putting out to grow and to benefit your actual community, these are the kinds of problems that I'm really able to to help you with. And I would love to work with you through that. So uh, the way to get in touch with me is hello at justinku.com. If you want to just kind of poke around and explore this world a little bit, I'm the host of another podcast called the Digital Missions Podcast. All that is available for free on all the podcast platforms and would love for you to be able to tune into that. 